Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by Elec 825. We are thrilled to join you on 610 ESPN, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Uh, Jeff is probably going to try and call in for a second. If my board op wants to look, he may be on the line momentarily. He is uh, traveling a little bit. We'll let him talk about that, but I am not alone here. It's a little bit of a Philly Voice Friday. I've got the managing sports editor of Philly Voice, Evan Macy, here in studio with me. Thank yo, you yo. so much for coming in. Happy to be here. Are you recovered from your trip back from the Super Bowl? It actually took some time to recover from my trip to the Super Bowl. Took some time to recover. It was a genius plan to drive back with my cousin, and that takes a lot out of you. That that was daring to do that after being exhausted as you are. Jeff Cohen, are you hanging out on the line with us too? I'm going to put you on the air right here. Jeff, you there? He says he's talking, Mike. Do I have a level? We'll let you figure out the level in a second. If we hear him talking, we'll do that in one second. Evan, how long was the drive back for you? You stopped along the way? Yeah, stayed one night in Charlotte. Okay. But I have to tell you completely, has no, everybody driving right now should listen to this. It's a life-changing realization. My cousin and I invented um, license plate poker when we were driving. License plate poker? You take the license plate, and let's say there's a pair of twos on it. You got a pair of twos. You got three sixes on the license plate. That's three sixes. Two J's, that's two Jacks, Jeff, two you're, pair. Jeff, you're going to have to try this out where you are. License plate poker. It's fantastic. Yeah, no, they're they're all covered by snow right now, so you can't see the license plate. Yeah, you're <laughs> like out in Blizzard World right now, aren't you? Yeah, I'm out in the Denver Boulder area. I'm, I'm doing a little piece for us for our new acquisition, Alec Burks, who went to the University of Colorado. That's right. He did go to Alec Burks. Uh, you, you, you can... Find that about us before your phone zotches out on us. Uh, I know that you paid close attention to the Sixers last night. Uh, I wanted to give you a chance to offer all of your thoughts about what you saw. Yeah, well, I got to see the... Stay stay still wherever you are because you're breaking up. It's that reception in the mountains. You're going in and out. Oh, I lost you. I want to talk to you so bad. I know you have a really strong take about what went on because you were texting me the whole time. Uh, a little bit. That was sort of fuzzy. Nope. He was so clear when I originally took him on the phone, too. He goes, right? You want to you take him off and talk to him for a sure. second, see if we'll make it work? All right, Evan, we'll keep trying to make the, the phone work. Technology is amazing, especially when you can't get a signal. Um, so license plate poker. Uh, who, who won? So you have to kind of come up with rules that work. But basically the wager is I will wager $10 or 10 minutes for you to beat the license plate that I just found. 15 oh, minutes, Oh, so you guys like legit minutes. got in on this. Yeah. This wasn't just like a fun game. We were game. driving like, for... Like, it's not punch buggy where somebody just gets punched in the shoulder. You got to drop money on this. No, it's 18 hours of continued driving with a couple breaks in the middle. So we would go back and <laughs> forth who picks the first initial hand uh, and then who has the hand... You have to try to find a hand that beats it, and uh, we picked wild cards. So if you see any Zs out there, that's a wild. It got really intense. It's a fantastic game. I'm, I'm urging every – right now, if you're driving and you're looking at a license plate, just think think about poker. Just okay. think about how the 2288 that you're seeing right there, that's two pair. That My drive home bucks. is going to be completely different now. I'm going to get stuck in traffic on the Schuylkill. I'm going to be looking at license plates the whole time. Life changing. You just changed my life. It's great. Tell me about how exhausting it was to be down there as the media covering it. We'll wait to talk Sixers for a sec to see if we can get Jeff back. If not, we'll go into it. Uh, tell me about the Super Bowl experience. You've been there as a fan. You've been there as a media member. Uh, how is this year different than past years? Uh, well, 
I would say the production values in uh, in Miami inside the Hard Rock Stadium are absolutely incredible. I kind of was rolling my eyes and looking forward to getting a snack when J Lo came out, and like you, you were looked, into that, you it didn't was get really a snack. Good, and you, I looked left and right, and I saw like media members. I was in like John Clayton and Jesse Palmer's row, and they were like head bobbing and kind of moving to the music. It was it was very interesting. Do they, how do they feel about you ratting them out there on the air that they were I into? I hope they're not listening, so, and if so, you can add. I actually. Uh, Full disclosure for our listeners, I texted Evan while he was tweeting about his enjoyment of the <laughs> halftime show to see if he wanted to come join us and talk this week because I saw how much he was fun he was having there watching what was going on. It was a nice break because it's it's actually a lot of work, the Super Bowl, just because um, it's just there's so much to write about. There's so much competition and, and getting something up quickly is has is never more important than when you're at the Super Bowl. What's game day like for a writer? What's that, what's that like for you? It starts early. You posted the eight empty stadium shot before anybody yeah, was sure. there. Yeah, sure. And then there's a few minutes where it, it's kind of cool because I was actually uh, sitting near a lot of Kansas City guys. Um, and everybody says they're not biased. But when you're covering your hometown team in the Super Bowl, uh, there's a lot of urge to take selfies. And so I took some selfies for some Kansas City writers. It's kind of one of those times journalists, at least good ones, take pride in not being too starstruck, not asking for autographs, not taking selfies. But I think at the Super Bowl, everybody kind of gives themselves a pass, at least pregame. So a lot of people were taking selfies, taking pictures, stuff like that. Then there's a lot of prep work that goes into trying to make it easy on yourself later by doing some research, doing some pre-writing. I was going to say, how many stories were pre-written that never made it anywhere. Right. I, I actually had four going simultaneously because at halftime I was feeling pretty good about the 49ers. I had a story about how the Eagles helped the 49ers to win the Super Bowl with some great stuff on Chip Kelly. That that hit the cutting room floor. I wrote an article about how uh, Andy Reid will never win a Super Bowl. <laughs> that hit the cutting room floor. And when the fourth quarter started to heat up, I realized I had to hedge my bet. So I ended up writing an article on Andy finally winning a Super Bowl. And an article on uh, on the Chiefs being helped by the Eagles. And so, you know, there's a period of time where you're literally switching between four tabs, updating four stories simultaneously. It's a lot of work. Uh, Super Bowls are fun, but uh, it's it's tough to do it the right way. Uh, the game really changed. It was a San Francisco game for a while till the third quarter. Mahomes clearly struggled early on. And all of a sudden, you have a, a pass review that's overturned, bringing up a third and 15, and they run this play, and I don't know if you saw the video. Mahomes actually called the play. I guess it's called SWAT, where Tyreek Hill runs runs up. There's a three-man route on the right side of the field. Tyreek Hill runs up and then out. And Mahomes didn't know whether they had enough time for the play. They run this play. All of a sudden, offense erupts. Game's completely changed. What was it like in that stadium from the jubilation of the Niners fans and angst of the Chiefs fans to the complete opposite of that. Well, I must mention that in my opinion and a lot of other people who were there, I would say the Chiefs fans outnumbered the 49ers fans at least 5 to 1. Wow. So, whenever there was a positive Niners play, it was a moderate cheer. It was it was pretty loud, but then whenever something happened for the Chiefs, it was just like in really 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 loud. So there was just a lot of enthusiasm. The crowd was definitely on their side. And so there was a lot more cheering and a lot more energy late in the game. And it was very interesting. And I, I kind of wish that I had had, uh, had uh, ear earplugs <laughs> at some point. Because at, at, at Lincoln Financial, they put the, the press behind glass. 
So we're actually inside for for Eagles game. Oh, so it wasn't behind glass there? No, I was so I was uh because I'm kind of not one of the uh, Regular most ho- no uh, house yeah, household names. They actually put me in section 303. Um, they act. They had an auxiliary press area, so one of the upper levels. They kind of had every other um, row of seats. They had desks, so I was up there. I was in I don't know row thirteen, section three hundred one. You were something in like the that. stadium, so I was in the stadium. But it was it was so it was so loud. It, it, when I'm covering an Eagles game, I'll text my buddies and be like, "How loud is it on TV?" Because we can't tell. It's nice and quiet behind glass. But there, I got the full weight of it. It was really loud. You were also there after the game. You were in the post-game press conferences, saw the pictures of Andy up at the podium, Mahomes. Um, what was the, I mean, the elation after the game? Andy Reid, uh, 222nd game, is his career win is the Super Bowl. Uh, the, the struggle and the players seemed to recognize um, him and their relationship with him. He was also very complimentary of Philadelphia and the Eagles in his uh, acceptance afterwards, uh, your thoughts on what you saw there? Well, Andy made us wait, and um, I was pretty perturbed at first, but somebody had That's their... because the time was yours. Right, <laughs> of course. And somebody had their phone out, and he was, I think, I don't know, he was on ESPN or NFL Network. He was sitting at, at a desk with, with Mahomes and some anchors. He said something about how he wants to celebrate by eating the biggest hamburger he's ever had. Yes. That made me not mad anymore because that <laughs> quote just lightened the mood. Um, and then he came out, and, you know, he... he, he he said, I have no injuries for you. Uh, very joking. It was nice. Um, I didn't really cover Andy. My first season covering the Eagles was Chip Kelly's first season in 2013. So I oh, You I picked a bad time to start. Uh, that first season was a lot of fun, though. Yeah, but then the season after wasn't quite as much fun. <laughs> then it went south. Yeah. Um, all right, so Andy's a Super Bowl champion now. I, I guess that will stop the debate about whether he's a Hall of Fame coach because the only argument that people ever had against him was he hadn't won a Super Bowl. So is that debate done now? Yeah, uh, I, I I think they probably would have been a strong argument that he was a Hall of Famer anyway, but now there's no question whatsoever. And the crazy thing is if you look at this team, they're, they're going to be relevant for a, a really long time, so he could have a few more. They, they are. They're going to have to have some contract situations. They're going to have to figure out with some of the players they signed and, and money. I mean, that happens in the NFL, but they are in very good shape. Kyle Shanahan, your thoughts? In the first three quarters of the last super, two Super Bowls he's in, his teams have put up 48 points. In the fourth quarter and overtime of those last two Super Bowls, none. Uh, whose fault is what happened? The collapse. Is it a collapse that we saw? I think that the, I think the Chiefs won it. I think, I don't know, 55 45 it's pretty close but i honestly can't get over and i was very into this and trying to find out the logic for this the events at the end of the first half if people remember yeah he had three timeouts he did nothing exactly and and then they actually ended up getting some momentum he had that deep pass to um to george kittle that i guess was a push off which is ridiculous because they've let that go all season in fact in the Vikings New Orleans game, you basically had the exact same type of push off that led to the touchdown right. in overtime. So, I, to be honest, I was surprised that he didn't challenge that. Right, that is a game changing well, play right there. I don't. Can you challenge in pass inside, interference inside two minutes? I don't know exactly what happened. I don't think I it was, was half. You can half of the game. I don't think you can. So you can't challenge pass field. interference. See, I should ask these things before we go on the it's, air, I so I don't sound so foolish. Inside of two minutes, either either way, half or the game. Our hey, rules official. Vito, what was your take on what you saw with everything? Um, I thought it was weak considering some of the other plays we've seen throughout the year. Uh, I can't vaguely really remain. There's a touchdown, I believe, in the regular season. Um, there was a push off that they called. I thought it was absolutely horrendous. 
Um, and, and even if they would have challenged that play, who's to say it would have gotten overturned? Because what was it? Maybe not even five percent success rate in challenges this year with that new rule. Though they for did the seem, they did seem towards the end of the season to at least tend to overturn more than they did at the start of the season. Now, I'm not saying they could have or would have. I was just surprised. I was surprised by what San Francisco did there, especially knowing the team that you're playing. Like the, everybody said, can you keep up with the Chiefs? Here's your opportunity to really put your foot on their neck and you, you take your foot off the gas. I, it just it surprised well, me a lot. I just I want to answer your question about Shanahan because the exact same thing that happened against the Patriots when they blew the 28-3 to lead, I mean, that exact same mentality is what was going on with the 49ers at the end of that first Run the half. ball or throw. Uh, well, not even that. It's just like... T- yeah, they're, they're, the the foot was taken off the gas pedal, and they played not to lose instead of to win both times. And you're, it's shocking that in one of the most ridiculous losses in the history of sports, I would say, the the main person behind the scenes is the person who didn't learn anything. And look, you, I mean, you contrast that with Doug Peterson. He kept that pedal to the metal. Like he went for everything. And you know, coaches that they coach to win, their teams seem to respond to that when, for sure. When, when you're not willing to believe in your team perception-wise, your team interprets that, what they say. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree with that. And, and looking at what Shanahan's done between that Atlanta game against the Patriots two year, three years ago and now this year's game, I don't per se the game was lost with that first half decision as much as it was in the fourth quarter when you ran Mostart. It's 20-17 uh, to 17 at the point, and they have the ball. Mostart runs the ball for five yards on first down. Never go and back you, to him. And then you proceed to throw the ball in second and third down. Why? I was you, surprised they didn't go to Mostert earlier in the game. They they came out with a game plan to throw the ball on the Chiefs. I don't know if it was in response to Jimmy Garoppolo can't win the game for us. Talk that went on all week. He's a game manager. He's only I don't know what that was, but they went away from what got them there. Uh, they're they let their pass lead to their run, which didn't open space for guys like George Kittle, who that was what they were so successful with all season was manipulating their personnel to create space for either trap run plays or uh, Garoppolo to roll out and do something. So I, I was a little surprised by that. Any final thoughts on the game itself? Oh, just that the big stage isn't for everybody. Uh the Niners are going to be good. Both of these teams are going to be in in their respective conference championships next year. I have I'm pretty confident barring some big development. So, you know, the defense for the 49ers is really young and I think they're all going to be sticking around and then uh you know, if you put Pat Mahomes with half the speed he has right now, he's going to tear you apart. So, both lot, of them are going to be very A lot relevant. of people watch the game, 102 million viewers, 10th most watched Super Bowl in Super Bowl history, up 1% over the Super Bowl last year. Uh, Kansas City had a 55.7 rating and an 89 share. Their local viewing peaked in the final hour at a 97 share. That's insane. That's so. There's three percent of Kansas Cityans. I want to know what they the were Super doing. Huh. What were they doing? Those three percent of people. What's the counterprogramming? The uh, exactly. The puppy what, bowl, I guess? what was the show on that was so interesting right. that they couldn't watch it? I did see something else interesting. They they call it the. The graying of TV. I'm always interested in the age uh, audi- of the audience. The median age for the Super Bowl on Sunday was 49.1. Last year it was 47.7. So if, if I'm the NFL, I continue to say make this a Saturday game and start it earlier to get the younger fans involved. And 
you know, or if you're not going to get a day off the day after, people are going to bed. They're not going to stay up to watch that game if they have to be up for work early, if they're kids. You know, it's not the weekend where you stay up. I just, those numbers, who watches the Super Bowl by themselves? Are they count like everyone well, gathers together fairness, to watch the Super Bowl? So the, the Eagles Super Bowl, I wanted to watch by myself, for, and and my mother in law was there because we had a, a newborn. Well, he was a one year old at that point, and she saw a different side of me watching that game. She thought that uh, her daughter had married a lunatic the way I was jumping up and down. So I was perfectly happy right. watching the game but alone. N- what person? What millennial? Yep. You're literally, well, sorry, you're literally experiencing something for the first time. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I, I well, look the day the year before my my son was born and he was one day old and we were in the hospital and it was the uh, Falcons New England Super Bowl and I'm sitting in the chair holding him and I'm going, you know, this is the Super Bowl. We'll watch it every year, but the Eagles aren't really in it much, so don't get your hopes up. And then the next year they were in it, so it was. Uh, I didn't expect that very much. I, just on the demographics and stuff, like how many how many young people, how many millennials are going to be sitting alone? And, they're all they're in parties. They're at bars. They're all together. Are they accounting for that? I, I don't know if that number's Well, correct. and then that's where your streaming numbers really get into sure. it, too. A lot of people with their mobile viewing. Um, I'd have preferred that they do like college does with the Supercast. Sure. I enjoy. A hometown broadcast. Yeah, would have been let me hear the hometown. Let me hear the sound of the game. Let me have the coaches breaking it down. Let me have the stats. Jeff thinks I'm ridiculous with that because I like to have all those different options. He just wants to watch the game. He doesn't need the bells and whistles. I just think that those options are really cool. The number one thing I heard coming home from Super Bowl 52, the one the Eagles won, was they were, they were very, very... Um, jealous that i didn't have to listen to collinsworth <laughs> so people were very opinionated uh, yeah he teams. he didn't really do anything for me 6.8 billion dollars bet on the super bowl new jersey sports books lost 4.28 billion uh a million on the super bowl um you see the bad beat on pat mahomes uh rushing yards yeah he took i didn't even notice this because i'm frantically writing but somebody mentioned it to me that he took he took knees, but he ran around a little bit, and he took more than like a two-yard loss. So the over/under was thirty point five, and he was at forty-four yards and took fifteen yards yeah. of losses to get it to twenty-nine. One of the sports books actually returned the the bet points bet actually. Oh wow! Uh, ret- they really didn't returned see that. it. They said it was the worst beat of all time. I don't know about that. I've seen some bad ones. Speaking of Chiefs rushing, I got hurt on one where I took the over/under on the number of players. To have a rushing attempt for the Chiefs, which was four and a half. Ended up having five players. Three of them had one rushing attempt. It's because they didn't dress LaShawn McCoy. Uh-huh. You'd have gotten it otherwise. Uh, did you see that the NFL is actually uh, looking to have a VP of sports betting? No, I didn't. They are searching for it uh, to try and integrate a little more. Uh, well, I, the more involvement that the NFL has with the betting side of things would make me suspicious of conspiracy theories so the job description is says that they're going to focus on four pillars continuing to protect the integrity of the game that apparently goes to your concern advancing the nfl's brand and reputation driving fan engagement locally globally which i think that's where it's going to be at for gambling where you can bet based on in-game stats for people that's where you're really gonna hook people in more and then growing the value of the nfl's data and ip so we'll see what they end up doing with that let's talk a little eagles uh for, for a little bit. Uh, lots of coaching changes on the yeah. staff. What do you like? What do you 
don't about what uh, Doug Peterson did and didn't do? Well, they didn't hire a offensive coordinator. You surprised? Um, I it was kind of going in that direction because uh, I guess uh, Doug kind of tipped his hand back at the end of last season when he was talking about how um, their current offensive line coach was Stoutland was kind of like their run game coordinator, which meant that Grow was their pass game coordinator. Um, hearing that the Niners had it set up like that, it's weird. Like all of a sudden, you have these specific coordinators uh, and I had never heard anything about it before this season and the Eagles are following in that trend I thought that it would be a no-brainer that Deuce would be the run game coordinator he's gonna remain the running backs coach uh, and assistant head coach um he said I'm, I was surprised that Deuce was passed over for that the thing is I, I thought that they needed to bring in just a new perspective uh some new voice somebody who's got a little bit of a different background isn't that what Rich Gangarello is the, the guy who's going to be the senior offensive assistant. He was with Drew Locke and Drew Locke and with the Broncos. He worked with Jimmy Garoppolo out with the Niners. Is he sort of that veteran voice in the room that's from the outside that they brought in maybe? Yeah, they pretty much want to get as many QB whisperers as possible in, in their, on their coaching staff, and that's been successful for them uh, in the past. Just a lot of guys with quarterbacking experience, a lot of mentors for – he did a lot with Drew Lock rolling Drew Luck rolling out too, and and I'm hoping that that rubs off because I I think that Carson has a much more steady base when he's on the move. Sure, uh, he he gets happy feet and and just doesn't have a strong set base at times where his mechanics get out of whack. He's I find him to be a much more accurate passer and effective quarterback when he's rolling out and on the move a little bit. Yeah. I would agree with that. Um, anything else surprise you about the people who are hired? Aaron Moorhead from Mississippi State, who played for the Colts, is going to be the wide receivers coach. Uh, also, they brought some people into the front office as, what are they, scouting assistants? Or? They brought, um, well, they brought Darren Sproles in, and they brought um, Brent Selleck in. Um, my buddy Matt Mullen, who's our deputy editor, had a funny tweet. Uh, he had Dwight from the office called him the assistant to the general manager is now, you know, uh, <laughs> it's now Brent Selleck, so that's a good one. <laughs> well, and, um, they, and they've also got um, they've got Connor Barwin there now too. Barwin was at the Senior Bowl. Um, I guess he was there to scout, and I think that the the what they're going to try to do. And I noticed Brian Dawkins kind of had this role, uh, regardless of what they t- they say that their title is with the Eagles. Uh, at, at least in training camp a couple years ago, when Dawkins had that scouting role, he was pretty much working with the the defensive backs all the time. He would pull them aside, he would show them different things, he would critique uh, things that they were doing in camp. And I think that's kind of what they're wanting to do. They have a guy on defense with Barwin, they have some guys on offense with Sproles and Selleck. I think just to have these guys who know the system and who are veteran and former leaders, um, just to st- stay in the locker room and to stay in the organization, it's. It's wise and it's familiar voices. It's a lot of organizations do it, and it's a smart move. How do you feel about where the coaching staff stands now? Um, I'm I'm not terribly surprised there won't be an OC because Doug calls plays anyway. Uh, so you know you're kind of talking names and titles, but as long as he's going to keep control, I don't necessarily care what you call them. I care about the people that are around at this point. I I don't necessarily have the faith in Press Taylor that some other people do. Maybe it's not fair to him because Carson's been injured and there have been other issues. I just haven't seen the the progression that I had hoped to see out of him. Um, <clears throat> but I, I was a little surprised that they didn't get somebody with a little more name in there. Yeah, I was a little surprised too. But uh, this is Doug Peterson's team. And in my opinion, 
His job with this team this past year was almost more impressive to me than what he did with the Super Bowl winning team. The way that they lost that game in Miami and they were five and seven and they really seemed like they were on the outside looking in and it looked like he was losing the locker room and it looked like the team just had no direction and Carson Wentz was crap and Prior to that, he had those that horrible game against the Seahawks, and they looked terrible against the Patriots, and somehow he got them to fire off four wins in a row with these practice squad guys. He had Carson Wentz playing like a superstar. The way that he was able to just keep that team together to make the playoffs, I, I am very, very impressed with that performance, more than the Super Bowl, honestly. And the, in- and the injuries. And the injuries, for sure. The, the players that were in there— when you're in training camp, that's the third string. Those are the guys that you're saying one of these might be a dark horse to make the team. All of those guys were on the team. They were your leaders at that point, which leads me to the next thing. For the third season in a row, the Eagles are making a lot of changes with their medical staff. Uh, so a lot of soft tissue issue, issue, injuries that lingered, a lot of other injuries. I am not a doctor and don't claim to be one. But since they've made these changes after the Super Bowl, it doesn't seem to have gotten better. Yeah, well, that's why they're trying it again, I guess. I I don't know how much of a correlation there is. I know there's always been a couple oddities every season when it comes to injuries with the Eagles. Um, The the way that they handled Deshaun Jackson, I don't know who that falls on. Theoretically, if he had had the surgery sooner, he would have been able to return sooner. Theoretically, he returned too soon, having not had the surgery. Then he injured himself. Then he had to have the surgery. I mean, there's a lot of people who make decisions when it comes to that, but I think that there was that. I think uh, Carson Wentz's back, if you recall, last season was handled very strangely. There's just a few weird decisions that they made on the medical team, and I think that maybe they want to have better decision makers. I hope so, because those are things that have kind of taken me uh, by surprise. I think it's important that they get those decisions right at this point. When you were in the stadium, I want to go back to the Super Bowl for a second. You know the the 100th anniversary commercial they did right at the beginning that with was the kids running really in? That was really cool. Did you know what was going on when those kids ran in that they, they had this They showed on the Jumbotron the like commercial leading up and then the kids ran I out. thought that was so cool that how they cool. did that. And I'm not a big like commercial guy during the game. I know some people watch it for that. I'm like, yeah, you know, I want to watch the game. But I, I thought that was really cool to watch. And before that, or maybe after that, they announced they had on in the stadium a lot of the top 100 players, and they had Liev Shriver, who's the HBO Sports voice, giving little intros to each one, and that was really that was really a special thing. I'd like to have all those greats in one place and to see them. Well, it's interesting you say that. I was at, uh, at a couple Super Bowl parties and stuff in Miami, and now you're making um, me jealous. Right? I won't. I won't get into the to the ins and outs. You know, the lobster <laughs> rolls and the and the filet mignon and all that stuff. The open bars, but um, Where, where, where's our food? Did you bring it back? <laughs> we ate it on the car ride while playing the the license plate poker. There you go. But um, there were some guys that like you ran into. There were a lot of like celebrity guests and stuff, and like one guy was like Tony Dorsett, who was the great running back from. Uh, he was with the Cowboys, and I think he was traded as part of one of the one of the big trades that led to the Cowboys dynasty. He looked like crap. He just looked. I think he's probably in his forties or fifties. He looks eighty. Uh, it's it's a lot of these retired players. Um, some of them I can name. Some of them I I can't remember their names, but you know that they're, they're they 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 were in Hall of Fame jackets. I feel like a lot of these NFL guys they skip over being in their fifties and sixties. They go right from being forty five to seventy. Well, the, the sport takes a toll on their on their body, and 
you see that as these guys come back at, at times. So it, not with Jerry Rice. He was Jerry Rice was out there like making yeah. catches and warm ups, looking he like he great. could be out there on the field. But the guys in the trenches and the guys who take hits, they just they don't age well. And so there were a lot of players who were helped out on the field. They were driven out. They had to sit, and people had to lift them up. And it's just, you know, it's it makes it's it hard. Special, but it's sad. It makes it hard. Any final thoughts from the Super Bowl before we head the break? We'll come back and we'll talk Sixers since we lost Jeff. Well, uh, let's hope that I have a reason to go to New Orleans next year. That's uh, right. <laughs> Let, let's give you a reason to go there. I'd be totally cool with that. Why don't we uh, hit the break, Mike? We'll, when we come back, we'll get into some Sixers. You can help me not lose my mind. We'll talk excitement of Philly's spring training and more. Stick with us. Sports lets people live their dreams, overcome obstacles, and achieve goals. But what's your unimaginable? Do you want to be a part of something bigger than yourself? To push your limits? The A Fatty clothing brand believes we're all capable of going far beyond we previously imagined. To overcome your obstacles and achieve your goals. Life gives you the chance to push harder, to dream bigger, and to do whatever it takes to conquer the unimaginable. And to do it with A Fatty on you, the original street leisure clothing brand. Taking you into the weekend with the latest news in the world of sports. With the biggest names on and off the field. It's the Heart of Sports each and every Friday at 4 p.m. on 610 ESPN. With former players, reporters, and commentators like Adam Schefter, John Runyon, Keith Jones, Trey Thomas, and Doug Glanville, Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen cover the agony and ecstasy of fandom while weaving in conversations about the impact of sports on society. That's the Heart of Sports, Fridays at 4 p.m. This is Dan Baker, public address voice of the Philadelphia Phillies. And you're listening to the Heart of Sports with Jeff Cohen and Jason Springer. Welcome back to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen. I've got Evan Macy, managing sports editor for Philly Voice, in here. It is only fitting that Dan Baker welcomes us back. We are four days from spring training. We will have plenty of Phillies talk shortly. Um, but your day yesterday, Evan, was completely blown up by the NBA trade deadline and the Sixers. Yeah, well, it's <laughs> not like we didn't expect it, but it was a lot of nonstop news. It started actually the night before. Uh, was that the four-team deal that was made the night before, or was it the Sixers deal in the middle of the well, night? Well, the Sixers deal in the middle of the night was when I got a text at like 12.50 with uh, <laughs> Kyle Newbeck saying, saying, the story's in the system. And I'm thinking, what in the world? <laughs> and then he, I saw the trade like everybody else. Uh, yeah, that jump started for us. Yeah, the, I think the big four-team trade happened earlier in the day on Wednesday, I believe. Um, your thoughts on some of the NBA trades that we saw. Sixers obviously making a uh, move to bring in two shooters, give up a couple second-round draft picks, make a lot of changes on the, the bench a little bit in terms of letting guys go. James Ennis traded to Orlando for a second-round pick. Uh, Kylo Quinn still here right now, but maybe not here. Uh, Jonah Bolden gone, Norvell Pell signed now. Um, so a lot of change there. Your thoughts on what the Sixers did first and then overall what we saw in the NBA, and then we'll get into the game last night. I mean, it, it'll help. Uh, the two guys that got are shooters. Um, they're not the kind of shooters that the Sixers specifically need, which is <clears throat> J.J. Redick, <clears throat> but uh, they're they're going to help. Uh, the Sixers really, it's just the starting lineup, honestly. It's the its the go-to guys that are just sucking that are going to make the whole difference. Um, the moves they made, I, I think they were good. I agree with them. Uh, you mentioned O'Quinn. I think that he, he he's still with the team. He asked them to let him go, and, and they're they not. They haven't. They're not letting him go, but his roster spot might be needed if they're able to get a buyout guy. Um, 
So is that what they're waiting for with him? Plus, if they cut him by before March first, he's playoff eligible. Yeah. So you get into that that timing for different people. Um, your thoughts on uh, Trey Burke's gone, and I don't feel like he ever really got a shot here no. to play. Um, I think he'll get picked up someplace and, and play okay. Why didn't it work for Trey Burke here, and how are the guys we brought in not sort of similar pieces? It's really hard for like these backup point guards to get a rhythm, really, because you have so many guys that are just ball-dominant on the Sixers. I mean, obviously Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid has the basketball a lot. Uh, Josh Richardson kind of plays a point guard role sometimes. Uh, when these guys kind of cycle in, it's just for very short stints where, where they actually are able to control the ball. It's just not a really... You know, a lot of people are talking about how they were hoping that uh, Derrick Rose would come here, and obviously, I didn't really want that. Obviously, there would have been—I mean, he's a great player; it would have been a nice new look. But I, I just—I don't see how they fit in. That would have been somebody else who wanted the ball on the Sixers. Exactly. They, so they need people who will defer but shoot when they get it. They because need... Ben Simmons is going to drive down the lane and hit a wall and then kick it out to you. Exactly. And so they need somebody who can stand out there and be ready when he hits that wall. Or they need those guys that hit those screens. Uh, yeah. Who are able to or get or who run a screens. pick and roll. Yeah. I mean, how many dunks have we seen from Joel Embiid this year? Look, I saw a, a spray chart over the last two months that if you didn't know it, the point guard spray shot of uh, Ben Simmons looks like what the center shot chart should be. And Embiid's shot chart where there's... Shots from all over the place, including many from three, is what you would traditionally think the point guard would do. Um, and B did not look interested last night in the game. The and that's court, the most concerning thing to it, me. The half-court offense with Embiid, it's, a lot of people are very... They, they hate it when Embiid shoots the three. Or if they don't watch the game, they hate when they see how many three-pointer attempts he has. I'm kind of on the other side of that. I don't mind him shooting the three. He has a lot of open threes. My issue is that he shouldn't have as many open threes. If he's got one, he should shoot it, but he should be down at the block. He should be playing in a different spot on the floor on offense, and that's the most frustrating thing is that he just keeps having the defense sag on him somewhere you know, high, high up in the post or even you know, by the three-point line. He can't go down there, though, because Simmons is there. And so that's the—Jeff and I talk about this all the time. I would prefer to see Simmons at the four because— if you look, 93 to 94% of his shots, forget in the paint, they come within 10 feet of the rim. They're within the restricted area. You just took it out of my mouth and said, I'm pretty sure they're all from within inside the restricted yeah. area. I mean, he is literally playing a power forward game, but there's this concept of he has to have the ball in his hand as a point guard, and I just I feel like they would be served better by going with a more traditional point guard and rotating. Now, look... I have said from the start, I wanted Al Horford here. I thought it was a good signing. I thought it would be good to show Joel Embiid how to be a professional. They do not fit together on the floor at the same time. And if if you're Brett Brown, this is your time to show that you are a coach of the team. Because you need to go to a veteran and say, you can be my backup center. Because Embiid comes out at six minutes of every game. So Horford would get in at six minutes to spell Embiid. So you're not talking he's sitting the whole game. I would have a rotation where I would never have not two of them on the court the together. The problem is that Embiid plays 32 minutes, we'll say. So there's only 16 minutes Horford is going to be able to play center. And you're paying him a 
ton of money to only play 16 minutes. So you have to find a way for him to at least overlap handful of minutes can Embiid. Embiid play 32 minutes at this point he looks <laughs> exhausted he he doesn't run up and down the court his hands are on his shorts bending over early in the game and I ask that not as somebody who doesn't want to see him succeed but he looks like he lost weight but he doesn't look like he has that basketball cardio to run up and down the court and Ben Simmons game is running up and down the court and so you've got these situations where Ben's running up running into somebody and Joel is barely getting up to the perimeter for the three-point shot on the drop there and so I'm just not sure how that fits together in the end I mean the best thing that happened about this road trip that they were on is that they came home because they they were 0-4 they lost all games by 10 points it's their fifth straight road loss. They're in sixth place now. They've lost 14 of 25 games. Yet on the flip side, they're still an NBA best 22 and 2 at home. I don't know what this team is, but what I know is they're not playing in a way that they're going to get home court advantage, which is what is clearly needed based on the way this team plays at home and on the road. Yeah. I I, I agree that I'm not one of those people who are an alarmist based on recent events. I know it's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately city here in Philly. But this team has shown that they can win big games. They beat the Bucks, They beat Miami. They crushed Miami. They beat the Lakers in that big uh, LeBron James milestone game. They've, they've beat the best teams in the NBA. The best thing that would happen is they make the playoffs and those teams that don't have good records aren't there because they can't seem to get up for those games that they should win. They get up for the games that it's like, uh, you know, I don't know whether they'll win this one. They they come to play, except for last night. You know, they, they got it within six at the end, but they weren't really in that game. Giannis made them look silly. He made Horford look old and slow. He made Embiid look slow and out of shape. And, and his aggressiveness going after the ball is not something you saw from anybody on the court last night. And I don't call out hustle per se, but you can just see that Giannis is playing at a completely different level than other people. Embiid was roasted after the game. I mean, Shaq (laughs) went in on him. Barkley went off on the Sixers, I think more because he picked the Sixers and doesn't like the fact that they're not going to finish well. But the stat that bugged me the most last night, they they shot 45 three-pointers. Okay, you know, whatever. 22 of them were from Horford and Embiid. That can't happen that is not a winning recipe and was three of ten from three clearly not enough energy to actually take that shot and so you're coming down the court and you're just giving them every opportunity to pack it in yeah because you're not putting anybody down low to do anything how many actual spin moves body-to-body contact did Embiid have last night against Lopez or against Giannis they got in his head last night and that can't happen with this team. You know, Ben Simmons called the team out, said that they had played soft, took six shots last night. Yes, he had 14 rebounds and nine assists, but he had 11 points. They have to find a way. I mean, there was the stretch when Embiid was hurt where Simmons turned it on. I think he won the player of the week. He almost won player of the month where he was hustling and the defense was dynamic and he was going to the rim and he was he was uh, driving and dishing and he looked like a bona fide superstar and... There's That's gotta, not what we saw last night. There's got to be a way. Even like they're not on the court 
you know, after that first six minute substitution, you have the Simmons unit takes over after MB goes. That should be Simmons. There should be no excuse for them not ramping it up. There's no way that if you're a professional basketball player, you should be able to play two or even three roles within the same game. There's no reason you can't do that. There's no reason that Simmons can't handle the ball for the first six minutes and play the role that he plays with MB doing Embiid's thing. And then when Embiid comes out, he just ends up being the, the small ball center on the team or whatever. Uh, and have Horford play the four, whatever you want to call it, the way that they were doing it when he was hurt. It's really frustrating that it's either or. They're either on or they're off. And they're and not- when they're off, they're brutal and frustrating. Yeah. And, and look, I could live with Simmons not shooting threes if we're running a different kind of offense. But with the offense you're running, his inability to even faint a shot <laughs> means that nobody plays anybody honestly. They just give space for these guys to shoot. They don't shoot. We, we run to the middle, kick it out, shot missed, rinse, repeat. Yeah, that doesn't bother me, the no, the no threes for Simmons. It really doesn't. It's it, The way that, the, the basket, that basketball, the way the game is played, is currently evolving to just being like literally it's either a layup dunk or three-pointer is really like I don't. I think it bothers me from a standpoint of it's like when you have a, a team that's running play action but doesn't ever actually hand off the ball. <laughs> they stop biting on the play action. Yeah. They just look out for the pass play. And so here, because he's not willing to even throw up a shot to miss, there's no reason for them to come out. So there is no room for Embiid to operate down there because you've got five guys in the paint because nobody's out there to stretch to do anything. Yeah, basically, I'm going to piggyback off of that saying. They collapse down low. They're leaving him, tw- what, 10 feet all, playing off him. They leave him wide open because they know he's not going to shoot. And the frustrating part about that is you saw all offseason, all summer, oh, he's shooting outside shots. He's practicing outside shots. Why isn't it translating into the game? He can shoot outside shots. Jeff has been down there at practice and watched him drain them. If you go before the game, he will drain the shots. It is not that he can't shoot. He won't shoot because I don't because I don't think he believes that he can have the success he will dunking the ball and passing the ball. But he, he's hurting he, the overall team, which I think opens up a lot. But of it's other not things hurting. But team. it's not hurting his numbers. And it I think is when he's only getting six points. You said six point six shots last night, eleven s- points in the game. I get that, but he's his people are going to go out and say he almost had a triple double. Whoop de do. 11, they 14, and nine. Look, they're clearly numbers, people, and and look. At this point, it's got to start going to Brett Brown. Like, I would prefer to make a coaching change before I move the pieces to know that it's not the pieces that don't fit. Because I don't know if it's the coach that's not putting them in the right place or the pieces that don't actually go together. And do you do that now before you get too late into this season? Or do you maybe try and make that where it gives this team that jolt get to going into the playoffs? My, or the do you problem kind of suffer is, through this? The problem is who becomes your coach now at this point. You're, that's what I always you're, ask people. You're who late want in the season. I, I don't want him fired. But what I don't want is for him to come back again next year if these problems aren't fixed. I think that these players are starting to tune him out if they haven't already. And and look, I mean, Andy Reid's a Super Bowl champion. He needed to leave here. Sometimes your voice just isn't it heard just really anymore. Expires. And so Brett Brown's been here for a long time, and it used to be that he had gypsies and young people that he could teach and mold. Now he's got stars and veterans that have huge contracts and egos. And that's a different type of coach, and I just don't know... I like him as a a teacher, even though I haven't seen the development that I'd like out of some of the players. 
But as a game coach, it's maddening watching some of these half-court sets that they draw up out of timeouts where they end up with a three from Embiid on the wing. And it's like, you just drew up a play, like run something to the basket. Even when they, they take the time to draw up plays, they're not really doing those things. And that's where I've lost more confidence in Brett. Jeff lost confidence in Brett a long time ago. I think a ago. lot of people have. I've kind of switched that. I was a very big Brett Brown supporter and... Lately, it's kind of kind of wavered. I'm kind of on the fence of. I'm with you. I'm going to. Um, the, it's it's easy to blame the coach. Alarming. It is. It, it's it is and okay. I didn't okay, so it is easy it, to blame it, the coach, and and so you don't seem to blame the coach. Into uh, when I watch, I, I would Sixers, blame everybody. But. When I watch the Sixers, I see the stupid turnovers. Yes, I don't know what a, a coach can say in a huddle to make you. More aware of your surroundings. Don't run Don't down the court dribble. and jump until you know where it's going to go. It's a lack of execution. It's a lack of focus, and it's honestly a lack of hustle. And if you think that it's a coach's job to to get the best out of a player, which I suppose it is, uh, then you know maybe Brett Brown is not cut out for the job because he can't motivate. But I think as far as a game plan goes, and as far as X's and O's, I think he knows his stuff, and he's as good as you're going to get in the NBA. I can't speak for the fact that they're listening hand over foot to every single word he says in the locker room and then, you know, playing for him. Obviously, we haven't seen that, but and and I don't know who, who what coaches are available out there. You concerned about the rumblings you're hearing about issues in the locker room? Horford alluded to something that seemed to be blown out of proportion and out of context. But then Josh Richardson held a team meeting yesterday. So clearly there's something going yeah. on internally with these guys. I'm not going to ascribe what it is, but does that concern you? It's weird to me that the team meeting is being called by Josh Richardson, Thank who's you. been in Philadelphia Ten for— minutes. Yeah. That and on the court, odd. five it's and a half. It's alarming, too, for Horford to say there's internal problems, but we're going to keep in the locker room. So, like you said, it, they're not opening it up, but there's obviously something there. Look, whether it's... I've worked in communications. If you say that there's internal problems, you didn't keep them internal. Right. Well, you, you, you've just spilled, you you've the, just spilled the beats. If they're the internal problems, open, like you, you say up. you say we're fine. Otherwise, if you say there's internal problems, right. then the next follow up question is, that, well, what are they? You're right. the The lack of a stringent denial, yes. would imply that there is there there that there is something. There's smoke to that fire. That so to add to that, do you think that's what kind of came out yesterday as Stephen A was one of the first ones to break it on his show, and then Anthony was talking about it a little bit over up the street uh, on his midday show with uh, Ben Simmons staying behind in Miami. Like, what, But why is there a special privilege there? They allegedly, it was approved by the team, but why is there a special privilege with everything that's going See, on? I get that, but if they would have won the game, nobody would have cared. So that's but you more lost of a, by 30 you did. points. What, you you did, but everybody else was out partying the night before at the Super Bowl, too, and clearly they were just still and at the so party. And so did Miami players, but did, again, you lost by 30-plus 30, 30 points. The rest of the team goes home, yet yeah. you're staying back in Miami. I hear you, but again, I think those things are blown out of proportion given the circumstances. So, yes, it's, it's a legitimate thing to bring up, but if the Sixers win that game, nobody cares. It's be, it's only because they lost and how they lost that it's an issue. So, but it, is that causing more of a dissension with the players, which is why you're not? I guess I want to say the cohesiveness isn't there for them with the game. Are you arguing that the players think that Ben Simmons is a diva and therefore they're not playing together? Because I want to know what kind of correlation there is between a guy staying in his hotel room, getting a good night's rest, and playing well, 
as opposed to a guy going out, doing his thing, seeing his girlfriend, et cetera, and having a good game. I just feel like anybody who has a job and has done Especially it Especially if you enough, got team permission. Right, and I think there's two parts to that. Before what happened in the game, I'm not as concerned about because the Miami players were out doing their thing too as well. They came up, they showed up, and they played. You're concerned that the team went on together and Ben wasn't and, uh, there. And Ben stayed behind. And the Especially only reason I would say that that's potentially an issue is because you've heard before about Ben's openness towards relationships in the locker room, that that free time together are stories that you hear. That's the only reason I, I would question it. I wouldn't make as big of a deal out of it as you, but I I mean, I know that it's an issue to you, Mike. I, I, <laughs> I, I'm overall looking at a broader perspective. I com don't completely have it because we were talking. Yeah, these players are allowed to have a personal life. I'm not saying don't go have a personal life, but when you're in the midst of, of this stretch right now, when – you were a quadruple dink away from going to the NBA Finals. We would have beat Milwaukee, and who knows what would have happened in the Finals at that point against Golden State for the Sixers. With the expectations where everything was going into this season, you're supposed to be playing bully ball and dominating teams left yeah, and right. We're not there right and now. And you're not there. So I just feel like it's cause it's. I don't want to say it's being blown into a bigger proportion, but I just feel like there's something there that could be a bigger issue and it's just and it's maybe causing a divide within the locker room to some Bef extent. Before I subscribe to that line of thinking, I can ask Kyle Newbeck, who covers the Sixers for us. I want to know how many other players who are not dating Kendall Jenner take uh, extra time in a city and then meet the team later. Because I'm curious. I'm actually. curious. Maybe it's a regular thing, and we don't know. Do, I mean, who cares if Mike Scott spends some extra time in Cleveland do, or whatever? Do you and Kyle, from his writing, um, you know, seem to think that this is going to be solved this year. I I get the sense that fans are starting to turn on this team fans a little are bit. Turning. And it, they have lost patience with excuses of we haven't had time to play together. I think it's solvable. I, I do. Because we've seen, once again, I said this earlier, we've seen them do it. It's one thing if this team just can't get the wheels turning and they can't get the right buttons pushed and they haven't beaten any good teams and they're middling but I mean they're 11 games above 500 they've beaten a lot of teams who are you know championship contenders and for some reason they're a very very streaky team and for some reason Joel Embiid looks like you know he, he needs oxygen uh three minutes into every game <laughs> I can't <laughs> But I just I, I I think that the pieces are there for this to be a team that in a big game, if they had home court and they're playing a half court offense and they can play the bully ball that they've shown they could play, or if they have Embiid out of the game and they have Simmons with the running gun, I think this team can be good. That's, I don't. That's why the four seed and above is so important. Sure. That that dictates everything that will happen in my opinion going forward. Um, were you there at Citizens Bank Park today when the, the truck left for Clearwater? No, no. The Fanatic was there. Vito, did you see him? I did. The 1,058-mile trek began with him hanging off the side of the truck as it pulled out. I've, there's some great stats of how much they bring to it's Clearwater. It's pretty cool seeing that. 10,012-ounce Powerade cups, 2,400 baseballs, 2,000 short and long sleeve shirts. I won't read the whole thing, but... I get excited. Uh, they astounding. also have on there one fanatic hot dog launcher. <laughs> Can't leave home without that. Nope. So they don't keep a, a, a hot dog launcher in Clearwater? Apparently not. Jeff okay. and I went down there last year, and we did some broadcasting from there. 
we're not gonna make it this year because I got a baby coming. So um, my wife would kill Mazel me <laughs> if I if I went to uh, to Clearwater right after we have a newborn at home with our three. Maybe I'll pick up the behind. slack for you guys when I go down. Yeah, you maybe you'll get us a couple maybe. interviews while you're down there, yeah, we'll and, see and we'll see what we, see what we can out. get for the show. Uh, obviously, Jeff and I will be starting again in April. The High Hopes Phillies minor league rundown, going around covering all the teams. So don't miss that. All right, let, let's talk a little Phillies here. Do they have enough? Because I don't believe so. Um, I'll just put that out there. Uh, it's not necessarily the bats that concern me as much as it is the arms. Let's start with the bats, though, because Chris Bryant this week had his arbitration issue resolved. And now there's rumors that he may end up in Washington or Philadelphia. Uh, he would certainly look very nice in the lineup probably at third base, you would think. Um, though I seem to think the Phillies really believe that Alec Bohm is going to play that position this year, whether people believe it or not. Do you uh, think he'll be there coming out of spring, or do you think it's one of them issues like Bryant where they'll wait for that rule, I think it's a, a couple weeks into the season, and then bring him up because of that eligibility? I don't know, but I wouldn't be. So I think Spencer Howard is the guy that comes up a little bit later. Um unless they actually need that arm in the rotation to start. I think he ends up being their number five. Because I know Baum opened up a lot of eyes in the Arizona Fall League this year. He had a great Fall League. He played very well for Reading last year. We saw him. You know, he's definitely matured, and he's a professional hitter. The biggest concern is his arm or the glove? Um, He's not... He's never going to be the best defensive player anywhere you put him. There's been talk about putting him at first base, talk about putting him in the outfield. I, I just think that... You you got him for your bat, and you're going to deal with the defense type thing. Um, but would you do a deal for Bryant? Hundred percent. I'd do it tomorrow. What would you give? Because I give them bomb and any other non Spencer Howard prospect. I would not give up Spencer Howard. Medina. Throw Medina. In I there? would give Medina. Medina's not been great. Yeah, um, I would give Medina, but I don't know if that gets it done for them. I would. Mookie Betts deal was two top prospects, which shocked thing. me. They the Dodgers gave nothing. Yeah. They, I, I don't know if the Cubs would let him go for they that. They got much, one of the but. top players for a bag of baseballs. It's, it just it really surprised me that that's what happened. So you do the Bryant deal in a heartbeat. Yeah. I would. You have an MVP guy. He's proven bomb for you know as good as he's looked. He's twenty three. He's never had a big league at bat. He's a question mark. You have a guy who's not a question mark. He's under team control for two more years. If you look at the Phillies' um, salary. Commitments in the next couple of years. Jake Arrieta is going to come off the books. Uh, Jay Bruce is going to come off the books. Didy Gregorius only signed a one-year deal. David Robertson. David Robertson is going to come off the books. Uh, I know they're going to have to offer a contract and a really big one to Real Muto, but you can't be half pregnant. You said you were going to spend stupid money. You're in the NL East, which is they're not though. That's the thing. They said they were going to spend stupid money. Well, that's the point I'm making. I'm saying that you either are or you aren't. So either you're going to try to moneyball it and do it on the cheap, or you're going to back up the Brinks truck. And that's what they showed they were going to do when they traded for Real Muto, when they signed Bryce Harper. Uh, They spent a lot of money on an above-average pitcher in Zach Wheeler. He's good. He's maybe a three or four on a good team. uh, Okay, so you don't think he should be a two? Because he's going to be a two on this team. If you're a World Series contending, look look at all the other teams that are contenders and how many would Zach Wheeler be their second starter? None. You need another top rotation guy. Maybe that's going to be Spencer Howard, Donis Medina. Maybe I'm not going to say the word Nick Pavetta because that'll just 
create chuckles. Um, <laughs> well, Evan, let me ask you a question. If he gets his head straight, I feel like he, it was a bit of a head issue for him last year. If he gets himself a little more squared away and we have a bona fide manager in Joe That's Girardi, where I think it's out, at. And he's more Not valuable. just the manager, the position coaches that they have. I mean, I read a story the other day about the hitting coach who's been working with Reese Hoskins. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the pitching coaches that are trying to change this crazy thing that the, they did last year in terms of pitching backwards and going away from the strengths of their players. To me, I think the manager and his staff itself are probably good for five more wins just based on what you saw from Gabe last year. And, and no September collapse. That's what you'd think. I mean... It, you may not have the, the pitching and all to do that, but with what he will bring and with that attitude off the field and in the, in the clubhouse and all... Last year, you won those first two games when you went down to Atlanta in September. You're two games out of the wild card, and you proceed to lose, I think, seven of eight or eight of nine and completely fell out of it at that point. The things I like is that the bullpen guys will have defined roles. The things I don't like is that we don't have guys for those roles. Uh, You know, we're depending— There's a lot of talent as far as uh, relievers. Coming off of injury. What do we think about Sir Anthony? Where does he—is he going to be ready to go beginning of the year? I don't know if he'll be ready to go in March, but um, I actually heard from the— the Phillies pitching coach, I was down there at the stadium. They had media availability for the prospects a couple of weeks ago. He mentioned Sir Anthony is going to be able to start throwing in tra- in, uh, in in spring training, and we'll see how long it takes for his routine to get him ready to be in the bullpen. But I, uh, one more point I want to make on the Phillies, I know we're low on time, is just that the number of injuries that the team had last year, you can't, if you assume that that's not going to happen this year, I mean, they were they were running out some pretty terrible pitchers they were bringing in they were making those trades for drew smiley and uh, i can't remember the other guy's name they had another veteran uh, uh starter coming in mm, i think they mm, had painful. like 11 different guys start a game if they can be more healthy then they can be more consistent they can be more comfortable there's a veteran manager that knows what levers to push so i i, I don't know five is aggressive but i do think that uh, uh, instead of Kapler having Girardi is going to be worth a couple of wins. I will make the Jeff argument. He would like to see Vinny Velasquez in the bullpen. Without a doubt. <laughs> he should be the setup man. <laughs> he could throw 98. He could even be the closer, he, couldn't he? He's yeah. been saying that since we started the show together. He doesn't want that, though. He wants to start. No, he wants he wants to be a starter. That's going to be it. Thanks for joining me in studio, Evan. Thanks, Thanks, Mike, behind me. the glass. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.